Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. I cannot tell you how excited I am about being back this morning, about being able to preach this morning. It's kind of like being a, on the pitching staff for a baseball team and having to sit in the bullpen. You don't want to be there, I promise you. And uh, that's kind of what I've felt like over the last couple of weeks, watching guys just bring the message. But I do need to just say a couple things. Uh, number one, the Petty family enjoyed our pioneering voyage back to Atlanta breaking down in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, but that's all right. We made it. Um, But number two, I just need to give a shout out. Uh, A couple of shout outs to Eli Laughlin for bringing the word two weeks ago and Marty last week. They did incredible jobs carrying on the torch for our summer series in the Sermon on the Mount. And I loved hearing their perspective and how they saw scripture through that. Incredible, incredible, incredible jobs. Thank you to those two guys. Well, this morning we're going to continue in the series and we're going to pick up where the thoughts left off last week, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and this morning, we're going to look at this macro theme of prayer. Macro theme of prayer. But I need to just say something uh, before we get to that, a couple of things. If you are not reading the Sermon on the Mount at least a couple of times during the week, please do that. It's Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. I promise you all we are doing on Sundays is kind of like throwing and skipping a rock across the uh, across a pond. That's all we're doing. We're hitting the highlights and we're skipping on. We're not going to get to everything. There's no way. The last time I tried to figure out how long it would take us to get through the whole Sermon on the Mount, kind of hitting every spiritual truth, it'd be about 22 weeks um, in the Sermon on the Mount. I figured that was a little longer than summer and we just couldn't make it. So please be reading in it because we're not going to get to all of it. So when we look at this major theme this morning on prayer, a couple things come to my mind just before we get to anything. And and that is if you've been a Christian any length of time, all right, if you've been a Christian more than just like a day, um, you probably are not going to hear anything this, this morning that is going to just blow your intellectual mind away, okay? It's just not going to be there. There's not going to be a, a nuance that you've never heard, or you're not going to sit around the table at La Cocina this afternoon and go, did you ever know what that word was? No, you're not going to get that today, all right? It's just not going to be there today, but... I just want to tell you, there's some richness in what we're going to look at what Jesus says today that you need to grab a hold to. And I need to grab a hold to. So just don't, don't jet out. But also, I just want you to know that there's probably nobody in this room, um, th- th- there's no one around that is listening to this that is probably going to be surprised today when I say that Jesus wants us to be people of prayer. 
All right? Nobody's going to walk out of here going, man, I didn't know that. All right? We know that. Okay? It's not a new message that Jesus wants you to be a praying believer. He wants you to be part of your life, part of the rhythm of everything that you do. And I also realized today that there's no way that I can shame you into praying. Have you ever been part of one of those messages before where somebody like me got up in a spot like this and tried to shame you into doing something? It's just not going to work. I know it's not going to work. In fact, you smell it really quickly. And when that begins to happen, you put the hand up and you go back to Angry Birds. I just know that's how it works. Or Candy Crush or Clash of Clans, whatever you're playing today because there's nothing happening on your ESPN app right now, all right? I know I can't shame you into it, all right? That's between you and Jesus, that's between you and the Spirit of God, getting that into your life. But I fully realize that if we're honest with each other, which I might add is a tough thing for church people, if, if we're honest with each other, we would probably all of us, well, not, don't, don't say all, they tell me all the time, don't say all because it lumps people in and it makes barriers. Most of us, um, most of us would probably agree that that if we were honest, we would say prayer is hard. I mean, we would say that it's hard if we're honest. Now, if we're good church people, we got, mm, we got it figured out. But that, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Most of us would say that prayer is hard. And, and most of us would say, if we were pressed, that honestly, I wish I had a better prayer life. I wish that my prayer life was more vibrant most of us would probably say that. In fact, let, let's, let's test it. Let's just test it. This is a safe space. Can we just designate this as a safe space, you millennials? Okay, all right, here it is. <laughs> uh, just, sorry. I don't know why that came out. Uh, if you were to say today, Matt, if I was honest with myself, I, I wish my prayer life was more vibrant. Would, would you just raise your hand? Would you just, who, who is that? Who would say today, Matt, Matt, I'm, I'm being honest. Don't be a good church person. Raise that hand. Raise it. I want you to raise it. If that's your heart, I want you, my hand is up. I'll put both mine because I need both of them up. Raise your hand. Look around. Look around the room. Look around the room. Look around. Look around. There, there's a couple of you Pharisees here, but the rest of us, we, um, <laughs> we, 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 now I made the church people and the millennials mad. I'm, I'm done now, right? Most of us, probably 100% of us, just to be honest, if we were honest, we would say that I wish my prayer life was more vibrant. Uh, I, I, really, I really do wish that. You can't get 100% in a church on anything, not even the carpet color, right? But, but prayer is a big deal. Prayer's a big deal, and it's a deal that a lot of us like to put up a front that we got it figured out. But when we're really honest, we don't have it figured out, and we wish we were better at it. So speaking into that, let me give you a couple just generalities on prayer. Kind of a general thoughts on prayer. Number one, I just want you to know that Prayer is hard. Prayer is hard because it's spiritual warfare. Prayer is hard. Number one, prayer is hard because it's spiritual warfare. Have you ever thought about this? Satan does not want you to pray. He doesn't want you to pray at all. That's why every time you start to pray, you get distracted. That's why every time you start to pray, your kid pulls the hutch over on themselves. That's why every time you start to pray, you, you young mamas out there, your kid starts to cry. Or the smoke alarm starts to chirp. 
Or something in the yard starts to happen that you need to see. That's why every time you pray, your phone starts to buzz. Or something, those of you that are threes on the Instagram, there's a list in your mind that you haven't made all of the check marks on and you can't pray anymore. That's why. Because it's spiritual warfare. Satan does not want you to pray. Because Satan knows that prayer is the foundation of the fight that we are called by God to have. It's the foundation of what we're called to do. And listen to me, prayer is an offensive weapon. It is not a defensive weapon. That's how we treat it most of the time though. When everything else doesn't work, when we tried all that we can try, we'll finally get around to going, God, I need you to help me in this. God, I need to do this. I need you to help. I need you to step in. Satan knows that it's foundational. Satan knows that it's offensive. And Satan knows that prayer is the key to you and me flourishing in the kingdom of God. As a citizen of God, as a child of God, Satan knows that. And so what does he do? He distracts us. He makes us feel like it's not doing anything. He puts other things in our lives. And it is spiritual warfare when it happens. Happens, which leads me to say, number two, that prayer unleashes power from God. It unleashes eternal power. Eternal. And here's the difference between eternal power and my power. My power fails me all the time. But the power that prayer unleashes is eternal. It is from the Lord. It is given as a gift to us. And it is given from above that we're going to see in just a minute as a, as a gift to me from the maker of the universe. So it's warfare, but it unleashes this power that is not in my good old American self to be able to produce. It's from God. And number three, which leads me to say this, God just wants us to pray what we got. Now, I know, I know it's not proper grammar. I couldn't get it anywhere else. But here's what it means. God wants you just to pray what you got. And here's how I describe that. He just wants you to pray and to get rid of the thought that you have to have some fancy prayer language to make it happen. He wants you to. Why? He just wants you to talk to the Father. He just wants you to talk and to ha you, you don't have to have a specific pattern. You don't have to have a specific language. And all that thinking does, when you think that you have to have a specific prayer language that only you can kind of get, is to kind of make you think that you shouldn't be the one praying. Here's, here's how I describe it. I describe it like this. You know there's been points in your life where you have heard other people pray and you have said this. I just wish I could pray like them. It's probably every time you get in one of those prayer circles, you know when you have to like squeeze and do the chain like around the little thing. Remember that was at camp when we were growing up right after we burned our CDs? Um, remember that? You had, to, you had to like squeeze, you kids, you'll get that later. Um, you had to like squeeze the hand. You weren't praying during that moment. You were just thinking, oh man, they just prayed what I was gonna pray and now what am I gonna pray? I don't have a prayer anymore and I don't sound near as good as they're praying. They know really how to pray and I'm gonna sound like an idiot. And so what do you do? You give it the double squeeze to kind of just pass you because you don't know what, what to pray. You don't have to have a fancy prayer language. You say, Matt, what, kind of, what are you talking about? Fancy prayer language. You know what I'm talking about if you grew up in church. I thought about some this week and I'm not making fun, I promise, because I say these things all the time. You're in the car, you're going on vacation and you know, you give it that vacation prayer before you head off on a vacation and what do you pray for every single time? God, would you just grant us traveling mercies? 
What, what, is a, what is a traveling mercy? I've never said the word traveling mercy anywhere else in my entire life, except for when I'm praying. I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, why? Am, I've heard somebody said that. It's just a good word. Or maybe you're sitting down at the dinner table and, you, and, you're, and you're praying, God, would you bless this food to the nourishment of my body? Now listen, I'm not making fun of this, but I had Zaxby's for dinner last night, and I am, I am really sure that there was no nourishment in that. <laughs> None. I mean, it was eight chicken fingers, a mountain of French fries, some toast, and I ate ice cream after it. I cannot pray for the nourishment after that. But you know you prayed it. God, would you bless this food and the nourishment of my body? And my body's to your service. Sir, you, you heard the prayer. You're in my house. You've heard this prayer. The, the nourishment of my body. You bless. Us. And then what do you do? If you're super spiritual, you bless the hands that? Yes, that's the prayer language. It's the prayer language. And, and some of you, and I'm not making it, some of you are going to go this afternoon to eat and you're going to be like, I can't even pray for my food no more. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. I, Matt just ruined my whole prayer life right there. But honestly, though, I mean, or, or oh, this is bad. This is going to get me right here. What if you're praying for somebody else and, and you start praying that, that hedge of protection? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not making fun of it. I promise. It's there. God, would you just put that hedge of protection around? What is a hedge of protection? I mean, all hedges are in my life is something to trim. All right, that's it. But we do, and we think we can't pray because we don't have that language. Now look, if that's your language and it's from your heart, hey, you rock that out all day, I know them all. I can do them with you, we can chant them together. I mean, I, we can do it. But if it's not yours, you don't have to pray like that. You pray what you got. You pray what you got. Listen to me, God is not interested in the eloquence of our prayers. He wants our heart to connect with his heart and to connect into his will to see his power being washed over us so that we can live as flourishing kingdom citizens. That's what he wants for our life. After all, that's the theme of the whole Sermon on the Mount is that we would flourish under the name of God. Remember the week one was the Beatitudes, the blessed are thou's in the Lord. Blessed are you in the Lord. That's what the whole first week was. Eli, on the second week, on the salt and light, when we are being the salt and the flavor for people's life and the light that shines on God, from God, from the hill, we no longer worry about ourselves and we live a blessed life that takes that off of us. Last week, Marty brought the idea to us that we live blessed when we realize what Christ has done for us. We live out of that and not to get to that. It's the blessed life of the kingdom follower. And what Jesus does today in Matthew chapter 6 is he says, look, if you want to live a blessed kingdom citizen life, you will be a person of prayer. You'll be a person of prayer. And he teaches us how to pray. He teaches us right here in the Sermon on the Mount how to pray. But before he teaches us how to pray, he teaches us how not to pray. Why? Because he was a master communicator and he knows that we're always going to default to how not to. It's just who we are. It's how it happens. So Jesus teaches us how not to pray. And he continues this compare and contrast through the whole Sermon on the Mount. Salt, light, beatitudes. You're going to see it all the way through. I want you to see what Jesus says about how not to pray. Matthew chapter 6, 
Verse five, look at what it says. This is Jesus talking. I know that because it's red. Here it is. And when you pray, Jesus says, now pause there. Notice something. He didn't say if you pray. He didn't say if you get around to praying. He didn't say, hey, if you have time or if there's nothing else going on. The assumption here is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that prayer is part of your life. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites. Now, when we think of hypocrites, we think of those people who sit in services like this, but then they go live how they want to the rest of the week, right? Well, this is not what Jesus is referring to. Jesus is referring to a specific group of people, and it is the Pharisees. It's the Pharisees. And I might add that Jesus has a bit of boldness about him because the Pharisees, most theologians believe, would have heard these words come out of his mouth. So he had a little boldness to him, like looking at him. I just kind of, in my sanctified mind, I can just see Jesus winking at him when he's saying it, but he probably didn't do that, all right? This, the, the hypocrite was Jesus's kind of pet name for the Pharisees all through the New Testament. It's one of the things that, that got, him, got him killed. All right, look at what he says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, super religious, but they have no passion and no God. For they love, look at what it says, to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, this is not an attack on public prayer. I just need to say this, okay? I feel like this is just what we need to say right here. Public prayer has its place. Absolutely. It shows the name of God. It proclaims the name of God. It brings the power of God. But when the public prayer is not about God and it's about us, then we got a problem. We have a serious problem. And that's what it was for these people. It wasn't about God. It was about them and their progression. You're going to see it right here. How do we know that? Look at what Jesus says. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What is their reward? It's recognition, status. But when you pray, here it is again. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Will reward you. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is telling you and me that we should not pray how the religious people pray. Wait a minute, Matt. God loves religion. God, no, Jesus didn't. It got him killed. He loves relationship. He loves the fact that he has brought us into relationship. Jesus is saying here, number one, he's like, hey, don't pray like the religious people because the religious people just pray to use God. To use God. Now, this is important because what Jesus is doing here is he is showing you and me that the primary theme of our prayer is not to use God as a genie in the bottle that we are just using to give us some kind of progression or some kind of blessings in our lives. It's not it. And he's describing these Pharisees that that is what they used God as. Why? They stood on the corners. They stood on the streets. They dressed themselves in certain ways just to be seen as leaders and authority, just to be seen in status. And Jesus is looking at him going, hey, that's not how you do this. And Jesus is not a fan of this. Why? Because the only motivation or the primary motivation for our prayers should be not to get something from God. It should be to know God and be with God. You see, there's a difference there. And let me describe it like this. You see, 
There is a difference between a transactional, now stay with me, this is, this is these big words. This is, there's a difference between transactional relationship with God and a love relationship with God. A transactional relationship with God is me coming to God like a business partner. With I don't really like you, I don't really care about you, I don't really want to know your family or know what you think about things, I just want to make money with you. I just want to see the blessings with you. That's transactional relationship with God. A love relationship with God is kind of like me saying, God, I just love you and I want to be with you. You remember those first times you were dating? Remember those first years that you spent together? You would look at the clock and it would be four hours later and what had you talked about? Nothing. You just enjoyed being in their presence and you still do, right? And you still do. Melissa's right there. All right, you still do. So do you see the difference here? He's saying, look, you if you're treating God to use God, it's just a transactional relationship. God, do this, God, do this, God, do this. A love relationship is where he's saying, hey God, I just wanna be with you and then me being with you, you will wash over me your power, your grace, and your love. And then the rest of these things will be added onto you. We'll see that next week. You see, the question this brings up in my mind is am I seeing God as beautiful or am I seeing God as useful? Now that's strong, that's strong because most of our prayer lives just see God as useful. And see, when our prayer life to God is just useful, we have to discipline ourselves to pray if it's just transactional, right? I have to discipline myself. Oh, I need to pray. Oh, I need to pray. But when it's love, I get to pray. And I can't wait to pray. What is he saying about the Pharisees? He's saying they don't do it out of love. They do it out of transaction. Out of transaction, is he beautiful or is he useful to you? Well, how do you know that, right? How do you know? Well, Jesus says the answer is, is you can take a look at what your prayer life looks like and ask yourself, do I pray in the secret or do I just pray when it's transactional? Look at verse six, look what it says. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you know that secret prayer is the only thing that we can do as a believer in Jesus that can never have an outward physical reward? Do you know that? Here, let, me, let me describe it like this. Do you know that you, when you come and you serve at this church, there's always a reward in that, right? People see you do it. You see the kids you're working with, the people you're teaching, whatever. When you give, you see this happen. You see things happen when you give. When you go serve on the mission field, when you bring a cup of water in Jesus' name, whatever it is, there's, 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 a, there's a sense of, of a fulfilling reward that is in front of you. But when you pray in secret, by definition, no one ever knows about it, and it's just you and God. There can't be any ulterior motive in secret prayer. Here, here's what Jesus is really saying here. He's saying, listen, if you want to know if your relationship with God is flourishing, ask yourself if you're praying in the secret. If you're not, it's probably not. Why? Because the rest of the Pharisees stand up in the public and they only pray to do what? To try to get use out of God. Number two, he says this, impress God. It says religious people just pray to impress God. They, just try to, they, they, they pray to just try to bring something in front of God. It seems crazy, but keep reading verse seven. I didn't say it. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Bring anybody to mind? Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need 
before you even ask him. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, religious people, they, they just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, hoping and thinking that if I just keep saying this, maybe God will finally just incline my, my desires and maybe he will finally just hear me. I mean, think about a couple of things, the Buddhist chants that they have to their little G-God, right? Not throwing any shame, they just got the wrong God. What do they do? They keep saying it, they keep saying it, they keep saying it. What about Muslim call to prayer? You ever been part of a Muslim prayer service? Those things go for hours, hours. What do they do? They say the same thing over and over. They bow the same way over and over, time after time after time. Why? They're just hoping that one day God, their God will just break the open the universe and finally hear them. Some of you grew up in, in a group that, that prayed beads, that brought beads to mind over and over and over and over. In the evangelical world, sometimes we sing songs over and over and over, just hoping God will hear. No, what did Jesus say? Quit your babbling, quit. You see, really at its core, this is based off a feeling that God is hostile to us and that eventually we could just wear him down. Ain't that right, mamas? <laughs> you ever been there? Give me some ice cream, no. Give me some ice cream, no. Give me some ice cream, no. Give me some ice cream, go ask your mom. That's, that's how it works in my house, right? But God's, God's like, no, quit your babbling. I love that word babbling that Jesus uses because it's the same word in 1 Kings 18 that, that Elijah uses to describe the pagans as they're dancing around the fire pit. And he's sitting in the lawn chair. And finally he has enough and he comes up and he calls on God. And what does God do? He acts. Why? Look at me. You don't have to earn God's ear. What did we talk about last week? Jesus already did. He already did. And now we have, believer, hear this. You have full access to King Jesus. And you're not going to impress him so come to the Father and bring your stuff to him. You are not going to impress God with your prayers. What does he say? He says, don't try to pray to use God and don't try to pray just to impress God. But thank goodness Jesus didn't stop there because Jesus says, no, 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 you pray to know God, to experience God. And listen, this separates every other religion from Christianity that we don't have to impress our God. We just get to be with our God. The good news is, is Jesus doesn't stop in the negative. He moves from the negative into how we should pray. How do we pray as a church? And if you've been in church in any length of time, or if you've ever been in a sporting event in any length of time, you've probably heard these next verses spoken. Matthew chapter six, he starts to tell us how to pray. Matthew six, verse nine, it says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What is that? That's the Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer. I love what Martin Luther says about this. He said, this is a prayer that you can pray a thousand times and get something new every time. But unfortunately, it's a prayer that many people do pray a thousand times yet get nothing from it. 
Nothing from it. Tim Keller says it like this. It's so familiar, we can no longer hear it. Yet everything we need is written within it. And here's what that means. That means this morning, I want you to see this prayer in two lights. I want you to see it as a prayer, but I also want you to see it as a model for living the kingdom life. Because both of them are found inside this prayer. And this morning, we're going to walk through what Jesus says we should do every single time that we pray. Now, disclaimer, we're going to go fast because every single one of these little elements could be a sermon in themselves or even a series in themselves. And I'm going to do them all in the next 12 minutes and 27. Not going to happen. Seconds, all right? Here it is. We're going to walk through the four elements. You better have a snack. And four elements of what Jesus tells us in this prayer and how he challenges us. Number one, Jesus says this. Our prayer should always start with a passionate adoration. With a passionate adoration. Now here's, that's just a, that's a really big fancy term that just means that I should always start my prayer by lifting up the name of God. By lifting up the name of who God is. Lifting up what God has done. Putting God in the place that he deserves. I want you to see this whole prayer does not start with my desires. Otherwise, it would be transactional, right? It doesn't start with what I need. It starts with who God is. Who he is. Look at it, verse 9. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now look at these words. They're specific. Our. Our. What does this mean? That means that we have a sense of community inside the name of God. In the kingdom of God, this is a communal kingdom. That means that when you go to God in prayer, you are doing the same thing, the same way that thousands of years of saints have done it from the beginning of time. You are approaching God in the aspect that you are part of the community of God. This does two things in my mind. Number one, it refocuses my attention away from just this world revolving around me and number two just shows me that I'm here to operate in the context of a community of God it shows me I'm not the center of the universe as well as shows me that Christianity is not a solo or a solo family sport now let me speak to you guys online for a minute you guys hold on you need to get back to church You need to get back. I'm saying this as sensitive as possible. If you don't have any health issues, church is not meant to be done in the context of only your family. It is the family of God worshiping together, praying together, seeing the power of God together, and serving together. And you can't do that from your home. We're made for community. For community. Our Father. Our Father. Father is the second word. I love it. What does father mean? It means that it is in the context of a good father loving us. See, father is a relational term. It's a relational term. And it means that God wants what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. It means we're adopted and we're redeemed into God's family. And we have a father that wants what's best for his kids. Listen, it's amazing to me to see this. Do you know why? Because I have a father that wanted this earthly for me too. And I know what this looks like in an earthly father. But I get it when I say father. For some of you, there's an incredibly harsh context in this. But I need you to know, listen, God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of your earthly father. 
He's the perfection of it. And as good as your father is or as bad as your father is, don't drag God into that conversation. He's the perfection. Our father, it's relational in heaven. In heaven, this word heaven is not so much a destination or a location comment. It's a position comment. It's a position. Yes, it means that he's in heaven, but yes, he is with us. There's both and, but it means this. When we say that God is in heaven, the Father is in heaven, it means that he has a position of authority and a vantage point for my life that I don't have. It's like me, 43 years old, trying to tell God what he should do. And God's like, I'm eternal. You got what, like a couple years on you? I mean, come on. It's like a kindergartner looking at their grandparents saying, hey, I'm gonna play with, the, I'm gonna play with this hairdryer in the bathtub. Is that cool, Grandpa? And him going, no. And they're like, well, I know what's best. That's what we say in heaven is for it means that God has an eternal perspective looking at me. So when I'm telling God, you are ours, communal. You are my father. You want what's best for me. You are in heaven. I'm telling God that he has an eternal context. Look at the next one. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed sounds really scary, but it's really not. It just means that I'm saying, God, your name and your renown is above anything else that I could desire. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving you that Praise. John Piper says it like this. You, God, this is what it means to hallow. God, you are supreme and the absolute treasure in all the universe and over the universe and all and over all of the treasure, there's nothing by comparison. You see, when you put all these together, it's me going this. Hey, before I can ask for anything, God, I just need to tell you how big you are and how much you've done and who you are and what you are. Because before I get that, I can't ask for anything. Secondly, Jesus says this, number two, says kingdom prayer has complete submission. It has complete submission. Now notice, you're still not in a position to ask anything. That would be transactional and not love. We have to realize who God is and we have to come to a point in my life where I'm submitting to his plan before I can ever even think about asking anything. Look at verse 10, I didn't make it up. Look at what Jesus says, your kingdom come. Now, that's not my kingdom. That's not your kingdom. That's God's kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, notice these language, your kingdom come. Why are we praying your kingdom come? What am I praying to God? God, I'm submitting to the perfectness of your kingdom, eternal and the perfectness of your kingdom that you really wish was happening on this earth, but we invited sin. You see, it's an already not yet comment. Your kingdom come. I'm looking at God going, God, I know that I'm broken. I know that Jesus, and I need him, and I'm submitting to him now. I'm submitting to him forever. What does he say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not my will, not my desires, not my assumptions. God, it's your will that I desire. You see, the first two areas of this prayer, I want you to notice something. They are really showing us two truths. It's showing us that as we believe that we pray, and it's showing me that my secret prayer life reveals who God is to me. It's showing me who he is. And when you combine those two things together, why in the world would I ever go anywhere else for anything else knowing that God is above all and he is with me? Why would I go anywhere else to have anything else met? The first two are incredible because it's putting me in a position to fully depend on who God is. But then number three, we finally, after we submit, get to number three. Jesus says that kingdom prayer always has wholehearted petitioning. 
Now, we probably don't have to talk about this one a lot because this is where most of our prayers start first. Petitioning is just a big word that means I'm asking God for something. I'm begging God for something. I'm pleading with God for something. This is where the asking aspect of prayer starts. Now, I want you to know that unless we have understood God and seen our relationship with God and view God correctly, we don't ask for the right things. But when we do, it shapes our dependence. Look at verse 11. Look at what what he says. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus gives us four quick petitions here. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on them, but they're important. The first one he says is give us our daily bread. Obviously, keto is not from the Lord. It's all a saying, right? It's Mediterranean, they ate food. Bread was with every meal, but notice what it says, daily. Daily is the bigger word there, but the bread that he's mentioning here brings reference to the Jews because it's the manna, right? The manna that sustained the Jews. It was every day. You couldn't store it up. You had, to, you had to go every day to the Lord and ask him to give you what you needed for today. That's what it means, that God is a God that desires to bless you and to provide for you daily, physically. That's what daily bread is, that God, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, God, I have a constant reliance on my everyday needs. These people understood this because they didn't know where their lunch was coming from sometimes. We have it in the pantry or we already made reservations, right? What does he say next? And forgive us of our debts. Debts is a word that just means sin. All right, it's not that they borrowed five bucks from someone. It just means sin. God, forgive me for my sins. Isn't this the greatest need that we can ever have met? Is for God to forgive us and bless us his forgiveness. Now, we usually see this two sides. We either say we we are so much of a sinner that God couldn't forgive us, or on this side, we say that we we don't sin and don't need God to forgive us. He's debunking both of those right here and saying, look, we all need massive forgiveness, and we should pray, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Meet my physical needs, but I need my spiritual needs, which is my sin, met. But then he keeps going. He says, and lead us not into temptation. God, I don't know where today's going but I just need you to put that hedge of protection around me, right? I just need you to put it up. Just need you to protect me today because there's some things that could trip me up today, God. Put the barrier there. And he says, deliver us from evil. Deliver us, what does this mean? It's us recognizing that we've got our toe in evil right now and I just need you to get me out of it, God. Get me out of it, God. There's an honesty in these petitioning that I really wish that I had in my life sometimes. What is he saying? My physical needs, my spiritual needs, my sin needs that I don't even know that's coming, the sin needs that I know that I'm in right now. But I want you to notice something about this prayer. All right, it's gonna take it up from the 101 to the 201 level for just a second. This prayer has an incredibly Trinitary nature about it, which means that, that it represents God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Notice we're lifting and submitting to the Father's name. We're recognizing what Jesus has done for us on the cross by giving us forgiveness. And the third thing is we're asking the Spirit, there it is, to lead us. Asking him to lead us. Why? Because the ultimate, the ultimate petition is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit begin to wash over us and to walk with us. And then here's what happens, number four. It's the last one. This one's quick, I promise. Is it always leads to obedient response. 
to an obedient response. Kingdom prayer always ends up with me responding somehow. With me living out a new nature that God has put in me. With him putting a conviction in my heart. With him putting an action in my heart. Look at what Jesus says in verse 12. I'm not making it up. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What is that? That's me receiving God's forgiveness, but me walking a new nature. Me acting out on what he has done. Why? When we experience God's forgiveness, what is God saying? He's, or what is Jesus saying? We point our lives in a posture of forgiving and living a new nature of who God has created me to be. What is the litmus test that he gives of a true believer? It's verse 14. But if you forgive other people when they sin against you, you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sin, but God, they don't deserve it. Neither did I. Your father will not forgive you. And I love this. Why? Because what Jesus does masterfully here in, in what, eight verses? Is he shows us how to walk in the power, in the presence of Jesus. What do we do? We recognize who God is. And we know God. What do we do? We give our hearts and lives to God. That's like the life of the follower of God. What do we do? We ask God to continually step in and bless and show and teach and model and disciple who I am. And what do we do? We respond by living out that new nature. This is the life of the follower of Jesus. What are we to do? Jesus just gave it to us right here. What are we to pray? Jesus just gave it to us right here. How are we to do it? Jesus just says it right here. We adore, we submit, we ask, and we respond. That's all. That's all. Let me just say this. We're going to walk into a time of prayer. If this church would do this, man, God's presence, his power would be in incredibly evident, incredibly evident. And we would see things happen here that none of us could take credit for. That's the prayer, right? That his presence would rule. So here's how I wanna end the service this morning. A little bit different than normal, all right? A couple ways. Number one, I just need to tell you that if you've never trusted Christ if you've never submitted and given your heart to him, having, allowing him just to wash and forgive you of your sins and come into your life, that's your first step to kingdom praying. Because otherwise, there's a gap between you and God that has not been filled. The wages of your sin are still evident to God. But he wants to give you forgiveness through Jesus this morning. Would you trust Christ today? So man, how do I do that? Hey, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you to forgive me. And today I'm giving my life to you. Listen, if that's your heart in prayer today, and if that is where you're coming to today, welcome to the kingdom of God. So man, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? That's what it means to give your life to Jesus right there. Well, man, I didn't pray the magic prayer. That is the magic prayer. It's you saying, God, forgive me and come into my life. Give me hope and give me life. Listen, if you pray in that prayer right now, something in you is going, maybe I need to do that. 
man, after the service, I'm going to stand right here. I want to talk to you. So I want to talk to you. I'll have some other guys around me. So if there's a bunch of you, that's we're cool. We're ready. Or you can respond online to the next step text and just say, hey, I want to, I want to trust Christ today. Well, you already did. I mean, it's right there by saying that. But, you know, potatoes, potatoes. We'll talk to you. Maybe today, for the first time ever, you realize that you can pray. All I can say is hallelujah. You can pray. That's it. That's all. Matt, I'm just not sure I can do that. Yeah, you can. Matt, I don't know the words. Doesn't matter. Matt, I don't know the secret words. There are none. No matter what your grandpa said. Doesn't matter. Pray what you got. But Matt, it's hard. Yeah, it is. That's how Satan wants it. But listen, God's available. He's available. And we're going to be a praying church. And I'm inviting you to use this as a model. It's not my model. It's Jesus's. It's way better. But here's how I want to end the service this morning. I just want us to pray. I want us to pray. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you. And I'm going to pray. But I want you inserting where you're at personally as I pray. Matt, can I talk while you're praying? You can to God. It's cool. He can hear us both. But I'm going to walk you through what this looks like to pray this right here every day of your life. And then after that, we're going to be dismissed and we're going to use this as a model. Lord, God, we adore you. Above all, we lift you. Above all, we put you on the throne that you deserve to be on. You're the maker. You're the creator. You're the sustainer. And God, today, God, I'm just, I'm just in all of your presence. That you would be involved with a guy like me in a church like this. God, we adore you as a community. We adore you personally. We lift you up as the king, as the savior, as the healer, as the counselor, as our father who wants what's best for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, you see so much better than I see. Don't let my stuff get in the way of your stuff. God, today I'm submitting to your plan for my family, for my vocation, for my job, for that project that I'm on, for my friends. I'm submitting to your will with my finances, with my servanthood. I'm submitting to your plan for my kids, for their future. God, I'm just telling them, y'all, I'm yours. I'm asking your kingdom to come. And I want to live like it's already here. God, I'm asking your will be done in my life. As it will once day be done in heaven. God, today, I'm just going to ask you to bless. God, I'm asking you to step into situations in my life. God, for... For my family right now, God bless them. God, they're hurting. Meet their needs. 
Comfort them. Give them hope. Give them life. Give them joy. God, for this church, God, we pray that your spirit is rich. Send us just a massive outflowing of your Holy Spirit. God, forgive us. God, forgive us of the sins that we know we have. And God, forgive us of the ones that we don't even know that we have. God, they're there. We're really good at hiding them, but God, they're there. And God, help us to be your people. God, we just help those around us that are struggling financially, struggling emotionally, struggling physically. God, there's so many names that come to mind. So many that are in hospitals right now. God, we pray for those who need to know you. God, put us in their path. Send your Holy Spirit to them. And God, lastly, send us. God, I don't know what you're calling all of us to do. But God, our answer is yes. Give us the strength, the fortitude, the time. Put words in our minds. And God, let us say no to things that are not of yours. Jesus, we invite your presence in every single step that we take. And we are no, God, that you are faithful. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to know something this morning. You just prayed for seven minutes, six minutes. That's praying. It's easy. It's easy. Follow the model. God's presence, his power, his protection, and his grace continue to flow. Lord, walk with us this week, Jesus. God, I'm so excited about VBS starting tomorrow. Bless it. It's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys have a fabulous week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.